Hey, Redeemed family, and welcome to Megan and I's living room. If you are watching this, you can see that we're in a different location. Our video team is taking a much-deserved break this week, and so we are filming from the iPhone live from Meg and Kurt's living room. But we want to welcome you here. For those that I haven't met, I'm Kurt. I'm the lead pastor at Redeem. And I'm going to share a little bit about my story. You know, when I was in college, I actually studied biblical studies. But through a series of weird events, I actually spent most of my career in marketing. And I was a marketer for uh, several Christian organizations and then also doing some consulting work for many companies. And one thing that I loved about marketing was this idea of branding. Now, when you think of branding, what do you think of? Well, for many people, it's the color and the logo and the tagline and the name, and those are all important. But when you get into branding work, you realize that it's so much more than that. And so a brand involves the mission statement and the vision statement and the values of your organization and the culture and the corporate culture that you are creating. Now, ultimately, when you're working on a brand, you're asking questions like this. How will a customer feel about us when they experience us? What will make them want to buy? And then maybe even more importantly is what will make them have such a good experience that they'll want to come back and buy again? Now, the logo and the colors and all that's important, but really the culture of an organization is much more important to answer those questions. So when I was in college, I actually had three really unique jobs. One was I worked at a Christmas tree farm and I was quite proud of that. I was the one that made all the Christmas trees look wonderful and cut them down and brought Christmas cheer to you know thousands of families. But also uh, you can tell I'm not from around here because I worked at delivering seed for a seed company back home in Indiana, delivering seed to farmers and driving a truck around the flat lands of Indiana. But the third job that I had was my last two years in college, I was actually a Starbucks barista. So when I went in to become a Starbucks barista, I went through training. And one of the interesting things about training at Starbucks when I was there is that you get trained several days before you even learn how to make a cup of coffee. Now you might think that's crazy because one of the things that's important to being a barista is to make good coffee. But for them, it's so much more important that they teach you the culture and what they're trying to create at each store is so much more important than just making coffee. So uh, Starbucks has this thing called the third place. And the third place is this concept that you have the home and you have work where you spend the majority of your life. Is there a way for them to make a third place where you feel welcome and you feel like it's your own place and you feel like you can be at peace there? Is there a place and how can Starbucks be that third place in your life that you want to spend time at? Now they knew that to do that, they had to teach these cultural values to their baristas. And so I was just on their website and looking up the values of Starbucks and they're so similar to when I was working there. They might've changed a little bit, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about how they do that because it's important for us to understand these things. One, creating a culture of warmth and belonging. How do they do that? Well, when I was there, and I think they've kind of lost this a little bit, but you greet people as you walk through the door, you smile at them, you make eye contact with them. It's so important that you greet and bring warmth to people as they come in. The second one is being present and connecting. Well, how do you do that? I think it was like the third time that someone came in, you were supposed to know their name. 
right? You're supposed to know their name. The, the second thing is a couple times after that, you're supposed to know their drink. Now, you know you've hit it big time when you walk into a Starbucks or any coffee shop and they know your name and your drink. It makes you feel special, right? Well, th there's intentionality to that. The other thing is, is you're supposed to talk to people no matter how busy you are. As you're making drinks, as people are waiting, you're supposed to talk to them to connect and to be present and to ask them how their day's going. Now, the third value is, is delivering our very best in all we do at Starbucks. And that's important because you have to make good drinks because ultimately it does matter about making drinks. Now, our family is in an interesting place and we're, we're, we're actually looking at this as a family. Now, as we've been focusing on this sermon series called Updating Our Operating System, we have been looking at, as a family, at what is God calling us to? What are the values that he wants us to be as Ron's? How does he want us to be unique? And what is the mission that he's calling us to, right? Our kids are nine and seven. And so we are actually just at this place where we can have these family discussions. But we're also moving from this place of rules to values, right? Not that we don't get rid of the rules, but it's not about just the rules. Now it's about who has God uniquely made us and what are the values that our family wants to live into. And it's so good to do this along with this sermon series because we want to be in alignment with the unique mission that God has for our family. So as I was looking at what are some of the values and the, the core cultural things that we want in our family, I looked at this question, what does it mean to be a Ron, right? Well, the natural place to start is you basically say, okay, let's look up the meaning of Ron. Now you can probably tell by looking at me, uh, and my name is Kurt Ron, that it's uh, pretty German. And so I, I, my, most of my, uh, my dad's side is, is, comes from uh, Germany. And so when we look up Ron, it's in German, it means this, slim or slight human being. <laughs> So that was not the best way to start, and I don't know what you can pull out of that, but slim and slight human is not necessarily one that we, we, we live on. But then I said, well, let's look at the crest. Let's look at the family crest. So I Google searched the family crest of the Rons, and it's really just a picture of a crow and the word Ron above it. So not much that we can pull from that. So we are on this journey, and we are looking at what does this mean to be a Ron? But I want to ask you, what does it mean for you as an individual or your family? What are the core values for you and your family, right? What do you want people to think or how do you want people to feel when they are with you? When they are with you, how do you want people to experience you as an individual or your family? Now, as we're finishing John 16, we're going to look at a couple marks or values that Jesus says that we will have. Now we're gonna look through it, look at it through this lens. Because of what Jesus did, we have these values. It's not that we have to do these ourselves, but you'll see clearly in John 16 that because Jesus did this, that we live out these values. So as we jump into this, I wanna remind us of just what's happening for those of us that, that are just joining us for the sermon series. We're looking at John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And this is the time that Jesus is heading into his, his, his final uh, passion story and his death. And we look at it because it's getting more intense as we continue to share. So uh, we're getting closer to that story. 
And so we started with the Last Supper and the Passover meal, right? And so we, we looked at what Jesus said to his disciples there. We, continue, uh, we look at the, the denial and the betrayals that he predicts. We then talk about how Jesus is sharing about how we are going to operate moving forward after he leaves the disciples and how they're going to continue carry out the mission. And John 16, 16 through 33, where we're going to focus today, is right before this incredible prayer that Jesus has in John 17, where we're actually going to spend the next two weeks on that, and his arrest, and his arrest. So we're really going into it. Now, reminder of a couple things that we learned in this series, because when we're, when we're reading the Bible, it's so important for us to understand that all this stuff is building on each other. We oftentimes can just pull out a verse and think that there's that that's the only point of this of this story. But remember that it's more about all the things that Jesus is saying to his disciples and how they all work together. So a quick refresher as we think about the, these things. One, Jesus is promising his his disciples the Holy Spirit. And if you remember how he describes the Holy Spirit, he describes him as the advocate, the helper, the spirit of truth, right? And we talked about each, all those uh, attributes of the Holy Spirit. He called us to abide in his love and how that is to operate. If you remember that, we talked about, uh, Liz did a great job talking about that. We talked about how the world is going to hate us, right? We talked about that he is the way, the truth, and the life and the importance of us understanding those three things. And we also talked about how Jesus only did what he saw his father doing and that the spirit only, sh- only says what he hears, right? And how, how important it is for us to understand that and how important it is as we go out and do the works that we understand that that's ultimately our calling as well, to hear from the father and do what he tells us to do, right? That's the whole point of us op- updating our operating system. Now, on to John 16. There's three things that jumped out at me in, these, in this passage as we see what Jesus sharing, uh, what's going to happen to him, and because of what happens to him, how we're meant to live. So let's jump right into John 16, 16 through 19. And usually you would see the uh, verses below me, but uh, go ahead and pull out your Bible because we're just going to go right for it here um, because we're shooting on the iPhone. So John 16, 16 through 19. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourself? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me. Now let's be clear on what Jesus is talking about. And some of us um, might be obvious, but some of us might be new to the faith. Jesus is talking about his death and then his resurrection. So remember that as we're reading this story, that we have the gift of knowing the end of the story, right? And we're gonna talk about, because we know the end of that story and because we're living in the end of that story, how we're meant to live. So let's continue at John 16, 20 through 22. Truly, truly, I tell you, truly, truly, I say to you, 
You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the, of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. No one will take your joy from you. That's what it says there. No one will take your joy from you, right? So the first point are that we are meant to be people of joy. We are meant to be people of joy. We get the joy of living in the second half of this particular story, right? We know about the resurrection and the ascension. We see the sorrow of Jesus' death, but we see the joy of the resurrection. We see the joy of the resurrection. Now, when we think about joy, two things come to my mind. What does it mean by joy? So easy, we can be kind of easy to translate that into happiness. We can translate joy into happiness. But this is where I think we get a little confused. I like to think of joy not as an emotion, but more as a state of being, right? With joy, it's inward and it's, there's a security to it, right? It's inward and security. Happiness is, is more of an emotion. It's more external and it can be so dependent on what's going on or who you're around and how they're behaving, right? Many Christians get, get caught up in what I call maybe this happiness game when we really should be focused on joy, when we really should be focused on joy, that inward satisfaction, that inward confidence that we get. I, I, uh, I venture to say that, that this is something that most people would be attracted to, people outside the faith and inside the faith. If you ever meet somebody who's truly joyful, right? I, I like happy people. I, I like to be around happy people. I think most people like to be around happy people and that's okay. But even when you look at happy people, so often that can change, right? They go in and out of happiness, right? And, but being around a joyful person is a whole nother ball game. And you've seen it, right? That, that there, there's this security and this love and this peace that's within them. It's, it's attractive. It, it, it's, it's, it's at another level, right? And we're called to be people of joy, the inward joy, right? And Jesus is saying, look, when I come back, you will have joy and describes it in two ways that our hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you and that your joy may be full and that your joy may be full. Now the word full there translates as fulfilled or complete. So the word full translates as fulfilled or complete. In other words, that we need nothing else to complete our joy. There's nothing else that we need to complete our joy. It's, it's much different than chasing happiness. Do you see that? It's much different than just trying to make ourselves happy. That actually that Jesus and what he did in the death and resurrection fulfills our joy. It's complete, right? 
Now, I want to look at what this particularly looks like when it comes to mission and when it comes to updating our operating system as, as we go out and do the works because that's as important as anything, that we're going to have joy even as we do that. When we share the gospel with the world, like Jesus has told us to, and we share a gospel to the world that's going to hate us, how do you have joy within that? So let's jump to two passages in Acts. And Acts is a great place to learn these things. So Acts 13, 44 through 52. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, revealing him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word, word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet again against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts is a great example, right, of how we live into this joy. We are called to share the, the, the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. And if we do that, we will run up against people that resist us. You know, maybe we'll run into people that will persecute us. There might be a level of persecution that we experience. But when we do, what are we supposed to do like the disciples? Shake the dust off our feet and be filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just about being filled with joy. Even when we do the works, we're supposed to be filled with joy, no matter how hard it is. Now, we go back a couple chapters and look at the story of Philip, and he shares the gospel in healing people in Acts 8, 4 through 8. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed, to them that proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and uh, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed so there was much joy in the city so there was much joy in the city as people of joy when we live into that joy and we, we, we do the works like we're supposed to and we're supposed to share the message and we're supposed to pray and, uh, and, and do the work like Jesus says, what happens? Our joy fills the cities. Joy fills the cities when we do the works like we're meant to, right? Now let's commit, continue with John 16, 25 through 33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
in that day you will ask in my name, and I, I do not say to, to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is what we believe that you this is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each of of each to his home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So my second point is that we are called to be people of peace. There's some hard things in this passage, right? We know that. He's telling the disciples that the hour has come where they'll actually be scattered. They've just spent the last three years together. They're actually going to be scattered. And that there will be tribulation in this world, right? That there will be tribulation. That's just something that we have to face. But if we follow the operating system that he's laying out in this talk, we will have peace. We see that the Father loves us because we love Jesus. The Father loves us because we love Jesus and believe that Jesus came from the Father. We get to have peace simply by believing in Jesus. That's the operating system, right? We get to have peace simply by believing in Jesus. We get the peace from understanding that he's overcome the world. We get that peace from simply abiding in him. We get that peace by leaning in and listening to the Holy Spirit. And we get that peace even when we're doing the works and it gets hard. You know, I mentioned this before, but one of my favorite podcasts is uh, This Cultural Moment by uh, Mark Sayers and uh, Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer. And one thing that they, they say is that everyone in the world is experiencing these things, upheaval and tri- uh, tribulations and sorrow and pain. What the difference we have is that because we believe in Jesus, we get this inner peace. We get to be people of peace. And their argument that is, if Christians start living in this inner peace, it's going to be the most attractive thing to people who are facing upheaval in their lives, right? That, that when they see that there's something marked spe- different with us, that we're people of joy and that we're people of peace, that actually this would be the largest evangelism movement. It's not just about the rallies and all that that we do, but rather people seeing the example of what does it mean to be people of joy and people of peace. Now, the third thing that came out to me is that I believe that we are called to be people who take heart. People who take heart. John 16, again. I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, the older you get, the, the, the more you take your faith seriously, uh, the more you get out and do the works, right? The more you engage the world, the more you understand this call 
of courage and taking heart, right? For many of you, you've been at this for a long time and you realize that one of the biggest traits that you need to carry out the mission that Jesus has for you is to take courage or to, to have courage and take heart, right? So this, this phrase jumped down to me here. And so I used uh, a little research on my Logos app. It's a great Bible app. If, if, you, if you love the word, you, you should look at it, the Logos app. It's interesting because the phrase comes out a lot in the Bible. Some in the Hebrew text, Jesus says it several times and a couple times in, in the, the, new te- the rest of the New Testament. There's a couple themes that came out that were really interesting to me when it came to this idea of courage or take heart. Now, <clears throat> the interesting one that, that when Jesus uses this phrase is that, I'm going to use three examples of this, is that he uses this phrase when healing someone. He uses this phrase when healing someone. So let's look, look at this. Matthew 9, 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic man lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And Matthew 9, 20 through 22. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now Mark 10, 49 through 50, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so his disciples, they, they called the blind men saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and came to Jesus. When Jesus wants to heal us, uh, maybe that's externally or in, inner healing or change us in some ways, it takes courage. And Jesus is saying that it takes courage. We have to take heart. I, I want, I want you to ask like the paralyzed man or the woman or the blind man, is there something that God is calling you to, to change that you need to take heart to change? Is there something that Jesus is calling you to change or some way that he's trying to heal you that you actually need to take heart to change? It can be hard to change or to be healed of something that, that you've always known. And so it's really hard to, to, to think about that being out of your life. Jesus had to tell these people, take, he, take heart. He understood. And I want you to pray. Is there an area that you need to take heart that Jesus wants to change or heal you? And it's really that it's going to take courage to walk through those next steps. Now, the other place that this phrase is used is, uh, is a lot, used a lot, is in the story of the transition from Moses to Joshua. And it's actually used eight times when you read that whole story. You know, first, Moses says it to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31 through 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to his fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then the Lord actually says it to Joshua in uh, Joshua 1, 6-7. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. 
being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And this is the alignment that I see in John 16. Whenever God is calling you to something, He is calling us to take heart, to have courage. But just like the story in Joshua, He calls us to take heart and be courageous because He is going to be alongside us, right? That He is going to be alongside us. And John 16, Jesus is telling us or in telling His disciples to be courageous because He has overcome the world. Take heart because He has overcome the world. We aren't courageous on our own account. It's not that we muster up this courage. We get to be courageous because we follow the Lord who has overcome the world. Do you all get that? We actually get to be courageous because of what Jesus did. Jesus is calling His disciples right here to the next phase of their ministry. So what is he calling us to? On an individual level, on a corporate level, ask yourself, what is he asking us to do? And then are we willing to take heart and trust that he'll be alongside us? Are we willing to take heart and be courageous because we know that he will be there moving before us even? Again, I want to acknowledge that these are all difficult things to live up to, right? For some of us, we have past experiences. Some of us, we have strongholds in our lives that are hard to get over. Some of us, uh, there's personalities that we have and, and wirings that we have that make these things a challenge. Sometimes it's hard to be a person of joy when inside we feel a level of brokenness, right? Sometimes it's hard to be a person of peace when the world seems to be spinning around us and even in our families, in our, our, amongst our friends, where it just seems to be swirling, going crazy. Sometimes it's hard to be a person who takes heart because maybe it wasn't modeled for us. We've never actually seen this courageous living for their faith. Or there's something that we're called into, but we just can't seem to muster the courage. But remember that Jesus is saying that it's about what he has done, right? You now have joy that can't be taken away from you. You have peace in Him. And you take heart because He's overcome the world. It's a positioning. It's, it's a daily reminder. It's a daily practice of these things. It's an inward truth. It's updating our op operating system. That when we update our operating system, system on this, I promise you that it will lead to producing fruit like never before. I also want to say this, I want to say in all of these, sometimes we don't do well as a church to encourage people to do this as well, right? We, we, we can, we can, we can uh, really uh, say things in, in a church or have uh, relationships broken or really keep people from really living into their joy, right? We can cause division and disunity and really make it a place for people that it's hard for them to have peace even in our church body. Sometimes it's hard to uh, take, uh, take, sometimes it's hard to really take heart and be courageous because when you share something that maybe God's calling you to or something that God is 
uh, uh, asking you to do that people maybe belittle you or say, oh, you could never do that instead of encouraging you to take the next step in your faith. I wanna encourage us as a church to live these out on an individual level, to be people of peace and to be people of joy and to be people who take heart, but also to do it on a corporate level where we build each other up to do that, right? So I wanna challenge you to a little journal challenge as I like to call it. And in this journal challenge, I want you just to ask yourself, where are you at on being a, peop- a person of, of joy? Where are you at on being a person of, of, of peace? And where are you on this courage? Is there something that God is calling you to take heart and do? And I want you to just journal about it. Ask the Holy Spirit, what, uh, would, they like, what would he like to reveal in you uh, on this thing on this journey as we go into continuing this mission of following Jesus. All right? So I'm actually going to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things for us as a community. So just uh, join with me as we pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your son coming down, dying on the cross, being resurrected, and overcoming this world. Lord, we're so thankful that that's Uh, that we get to live into the second half of that story, Lord. That we understand that it's because of what Jesus did for us that we can be people of joy and people of peace and people who take heart. Lord, where you want to reveal to each one of my brothers and sisters that's listening to this or watching this, Lord, will you reveal to them what you have for them? What's the next mission that you have for them? Will you speak to them clearly? And Lord, will you help them just have joy and peace and courage in this journey? We love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, I hope you have a great week. You can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. at Olympic View Baptist Church or online every Sunday. We love you all, and we'll see you next week.